it's one of the main things that prevents people outsourcing overseas to places like China is knowing that actually they can't communicate very well with the manufacturer and the supplier. And um, a small misunderstanding in the project can cause big problems later on, especially if you're doing full scale production and you have even the tolerance slightly off or some misunderstanding with the drawing. Uh, it can be a huge cost wastage as well as time wastage. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on the show today is Jennifer Grant, marketing manager from Hazel Global Europe. Hazel is a web platform that connects manufacturing companies with suppliers in Asia, particularly China. The company's value proposition is that it bypasses daunting challenges inherent when outsourcing to foreign countries such as vetting suppliers and communicating in a foreign language. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Jennifer Grant, Marketing Manager for Heisel Global Europe. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Today, we're going to talk about an interesting company in China, Heisel. Please just give me a brief summary of Heisel and Heisel Global. Sure, with pleasure. So we're um, an online platform where we match make buyers with suppliers worldwide. So whether you're in Europe or in North America, you can essentially hop onto our platform and be paired with um, a supplier or manufacturer that fits your project and requirements, whether that's a metal or plastic part or a project. Um, So it could be any kind of product and it can be from prototype to full scale production. So it just eliminates the need to travel and also eliminates the need to pre-vet factories yourself. Some of the stuff is high production, high volume, and some of it is is even just like a, a one-off piece, correct? Exactly that. So it can be one-off pieces or it can be full-scale production. So we have the capacity to to tailor for both. So that's what makes it so special because a lot of companies have minimum order quantities. So if you're looking to produce one or two parts, it's not cost-effective to use a platform. And my understanding is there's two services you guys have. You have Heisel Global and Heisel.com. Can you explain the differences between those? Exactly, yes. So Heisel.com would be the matchmaker, essentially. So where anywhere in the world can come online and they can actually request for a quote from a supplier. And within 24 hours, suppliers that fit the criteria and who are able to deal with the project can quote. And then essentially, the buyer can come on and filter by different filters, such as certifications, location, um, capacity, 
number of employees, the research and development department of that factory. So they can factor on what aspects are relevant for them. Whereas highs are global, we are directly the manufacturers. So this is essentially completely stress-free and a hands-off experience where we would take the project from scratch. Um, our manufacturers and engineers would deal with it and then essentially will end up at, at the door of the buyer. So really hands-free streamlined. But Heisel, Heisel, okay, they have their own machines, their own factories, but they're outsourcing it too, correct? Some? So it depends. It depends on the project, not always. So we do have in-house capacity. So essentially, it really depends on a project-by-project basis. Um, And it would all be talked through with them. They would have an account manager be working with the buyer closely throughout the whole from start to finish. Well, what's more common, that they're outsourcing the work to other vendors or other suppliers? So um, I don't have the percentages per se because that's actually not my department. So once a project comes into us, our team and the our account managers will deal with that and it will head off to our engineer department. So they will essentially look at the design and decide where to send this, who's going to produce this. And it's all hands off for the buyer. So whether it's produced by Heisel themselves or they outsource, um, the buyer literally does does nothing and is not involved so it's normally that they get a sample and then once they've approved the sample, we can go into full scale production. So that option is a lot more popular than the matchmaking option, yes? It's not that one option is more popular than the other. It really depends on how much time the buyer wants to put in. A lot of the companies who want to spend time elsewhere would choose Heisel Global because this is hands off. So they have the time to run their business essentially. And you don't need to keep going back and forth with the factory. Highs on manage everything for you. So it really depends what kind of experience you're looking for, how big your company is, how much time you have. And if you want to be the hands on person to negotiate and um, do your quality checks, um, Hyzol does all of that. So it's almost a secondary, the, the factory themselves will quality check, but then Hyzol if they've outsourced it, will quality check themselves as well. So you you know, it's really, really hands-off, basically. Heisel manage the whole thing. But if you do the matchmaking thing, then it's basically Heisel makes the match. They get the two, the vendor and the customer in touch. And then it's just totally hands-off for Heisel. They don't help with language or communication between the two companies, whatever. It's just, this is the initial match. And then you're on your own. Am I right? Not not at all. So they do help. So we are on hand to help with that, which is another reason to use a platform like Heisel rather than go at it alone, because we are there on hand. So obviously, speaking the native language, we can help with negotiation. We can help with any language barriers, any questions that they have. So, yeah, we're always on hand. Um, but it is essentially the supplier and buyer directly. But Heisel are on hand. Yes. Okay. Is it going to be more expensive for one than the other, or it just depends on the job? It really depends on the job because with um, Heisel Global, you'll get one quote, which is from Heisel. With Heisel.com, you might get five, six, seven, 10 plus quotes from different suppliers, all different prices, but you have to choose depending on different criteria. Um, so it really, really does depend. But with Heisel.com, you would get a variety of quotes and it'll be up to you to decide which one to go for, which one's best suited to your project. It's really interesting. It just seems like I, I understand, I guess, that it's the point is to make it a little less scary to go to China. But the problem I see is if you're just talking to this one company that's 
the one-stop shop and they're going to do it all, although they're doing it all for you. It seems kind of scary to just kind of go hands off and it's just like, here you go. But there's a lot of communication between them. So exactly, exactly. So we have a portal and uh, it gives real time information. So at any point, obviously you get the dedicated account manager, you can drop them a message. Um, You'll be getting regular updates and also you can hop into the system and see real time where your project is up to. So you're not kind of kept in the dark and then it just turns up. You're informed the whole way, but to the degree you want to be. You might not want any updates. You might just want, this is the date I need it to arrive by. Highs, I'll ensure that that happens. Um, Because a lot of times factories can give you a lead time and say, okay, it's going to be delivered to you in three weeks. But then there's delays, 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 and that might be really important for you. So with Highs, I'll use I need it for X day we will ensure it is arriving by that day. So this is also- How can you ensure it? So we will be managing the project. It's all about being on the ground, essentially. We are where the factories are um, and we are making sure that things run run smoothly and keeping that pressure on. And just obviously there's some circumstances where a delay can't be helped, you know, um, but you maximize your chances of having the lead time come through for you basically obviously with covid and the delays um during covid with logistics and delivery um this was a hard time for all companies you know so absolutely extraneous circumstances aside um highs all is a good way to ensure that you know things are done on time mm-hmm. it sounds a little bit like uh zometry we did an interview with them and thomas net it's sort of a similar concept you you submit the drawing give me a just a brief synopsis of like the whole process. So they go online, they find Heisel or Heisel Global. And then what does a company do after that? They call, do they just, can it be done all online? So once you found Heisel, whether that's direct or referral, we have a lot of referrals from customers who have had a good experience with us. If you're on Heisel.com, you would submit your request for quotation. So you would apply for a request for quote um, and do it all online. You can sign an NDA and have them sign an NDA as well. And literally, it's all done from your online account, which you can create in two minutes. So you put all your project requirements and your design, and then it goes through to the suppliers. And before it does, Heisel have a team of engineers that actually pre-vets your request for quote to check. Is there anything more that needs to be added? Is everything there that they need? That makes total sense because you don't know who's submitting it, if they know what the heck they're talking about or not. And it's submitting your drawing and having it go to a company that's based in China, right? Yes, exactly. So the NDA is valid and it's a standard one that's accepted worldwide. So it's not specific to China or any country. And you can actually, if you have your own NDA, you can also upload that. So if you weren't happy with Heisel's templates, you can actually upload your own company one and have them sign it. It just seems like difficult because an NDA, maybe in the United States, you could sue somebody for it. But if somebody violates your trust, steals your intellectual property, is there really anything you can do? So in a sense, if if to some extent, there's always some risk. But using a big platform like Heisel is, is really your, your best minimizing that risk because we have already pre-vetted these factories Hundreds of millions, like thousands of customers have used. So what you're saying is it's actually safer to use Heisel than go on your own and find a vendor in China. 100%. Because with Heisel, we have partnered with these factories for many years. 
and they've already had many customers go through them and that's why they're still on our platform. And each factory actually has customer reviews. So after a project's finished, a customer can actually review the factory. So if there were any you know, negative experiences, you'd be able to see that before. And we would, of course, remove them from the platform. So in a way, going at it alone, you have no idea about the factory um, or even where, where they are, what their real capacity is. Whereas with Heisel, you don't have that unknown. Right. No, I mean, because China, we're outsourcing it anywhere in general. I mean, it's scary. You have no idea what the heck is going to happen, who you're dealing with. And you still don't know. But I mean, it seems like what you guys are doing is you're holding their hand. And the language thing is a huge thing, right? Just communicating. 100%. It's one of the key things. It's one of the main things that prevents people outsourcing overseas to places like China is knowing that actually they can't communicate very well with the person, the manufacturer and the supplier. And um a, a small misunderstanding in the project can cause big problems later on, especially if you're doing full-scale production and you have even the tolerance slightly off or some misunderstanding with the drawing. Uh, it can be a huge cost wastage as well as time wastage. So it's it's a big plus. What if somebody is using Heisel Global, so they're outsourcing to sort of the one-stop shop, not the matchmaker, and they want to go to China and see the process can they? Can they go and observe the part actually being made and go to that shop? So of course they can. I mean, from our side, there's no restrictions on that. Um, I would say that at the moment, the last year or two and for the foreseeable, it's very difficult to visit China. Um, and again, the only issue would be probably the language barrier. Um, so it's no guarantee that the people in the factory directly will speak English. Heisel wouldn't 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 meet somebody over there and be like, hey, I'll take you over there. Um, it would depend on the project. You know, if it was for a prototype or if it was, it really does depend. But Heisel have done that in the past. Yeah, we have actually done that. So if they were making a hundred thousand part run or a million part run. Yes. I mean, there's no exact number to say, yes, we will. And no, we won't. But a significant customer, they you they would let you come over and see it. A hundred percent. And this has, this has happened in the past as well. We have had customers come and visit. We've taken them around a few factories so they can choose which one fits them. So depending on the size and scope of the project, this was pre-COVID, and they would come over to China and that that would exactly happen, yes. Interesting. So what percentage of the stuff goes to China versus some of the other Asian countries? Um, It really depends. I don't have the specific quote on um, how much is outsourced to Asia. So it's not all outsourced to Asia? I'm sorry, I meant other countries except China in Asia. Oh, okay. So um, during COVID, for example, there were some factories that closed down, some very specific factories. So if we had a quote for those factories coming in, we could outsource it to other countries within Asia. Um, So it really depends on the project. And this would be the job of the engineers and the team who are responsible for sourcing within China who are on the ground. Um, What's special, actually, is our team have got over 25 years experience. They're very, very experienced in what they do. So they know exactly who to pair with and why and who will get it done the best. Um, not just the fastest, but the highest quality. Um, so this isn't my forte, but um, what I can tell you is it's not really location that matters. It's the factory that matters and who's best suited to the project. Sure. I, I just find it interesting. I was just curious who has the infrastructure to do this stuff. I mean, would stuff is stuff going to Japan? Currently, we don't have any partners in Japan. No. Where are the partners? Thailand, Vietnam? So, yes, we have some in Vietnam. Um, we have some in the Philippines. 
mostly Vietnam, actually. Um, the predominant number of our factories are within China. Most things can be done within China, but it's good to know that we have a supply chain that reaches to other countries. Say, for some reason, one of the China facilities closed down mid-project, we can easily resource, reallocate those resources elsewhere, which is, again, something you don't get if you go direct. You would have to then source somebody else yourself. You know, a lot of places in the West, in Europe, in the United States, North America, they're saying there's reshoring happening. I don't know if there's actual reshoring, but, you know, you do hear lots of companies are deciding they're going to just make it at home because the supply chain is more difficult. Things are less reliable. Have you guys gotten a hit from that or? So, no, not really. We haven't. And a lot of our customers are um, long term customers and I understand there are some advantages to in-house manufacturing and manufacturing within the country. Um, however, it does still remain that um, outsourcing is typically a much lower cost. And if you choose somebody well-established like Heisel, the supply chain issues don't really um, affect as much as if you're going direct and outsourcing yourself. You kind of get these, these issues more. Um, so I think that it's mitigated using a platform. And it's essentially you're saving cost um, and saving time and you have access to manufacturing capabilities that you probably won't have within the country. Um, the level of tech, the speed it can go to market, all of this has to be considered as well. China manufacturing can bring stuff to market very, very quickly. So this is a huge plus. Which countries in the world uh, are using it the most? Um, United States? Um... Britain, Germany? So we're very big across Europe. Um, probably the biggest audience would be in the US, but um, again, the US is much bigger, so um, it's all relative. But yes, we also um, are very big within Germany, the UK, Switzerland, Italy, France. But the most customers are in North America. The US, yeah, exactly, North America. Listeners, first I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. I know we have lots of competition out there. Freakonomics, This American Life, Joe Rogan. Also, I just want to let you know, if you have guest ideas or questions for me or Lloyd, we'd love for you to reach out. And if you want to talk about future advertising opportunities, we're very happy to talk to you anytime. Feel free to email me at noah at grafpinkert.com. That's N-O-A-H at G-R-A-F-F-P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. And now, back to the episode. How do people pay? Um, so, variety of payment methods. Do you take cryptocurrency? No, we don't. Don't take cryptocurrency. However, you never know what the future holds. More and more companies are adopting this as a payment method. But um, at the moment, Heisel don't. So typically it's bank transfer, just the standard old fashioned ways. And that's also the safest method. It's quite fast. And we also offer part payments. So you pay in, in parts. Um, so you will pay a portion when you first sign the contract, then you'll pay a portion maybe probably when the prototype has arrived, and then you can pay the remainder before full-scale production. So it can be broken down. Um, there's a variety of payment options all displayed on the website. What do you see as the future of the company, the growth? Where um, I see it growing from strength to strength. You know, it's not just COVID that's brought digital manufacturing, on-demand manufacturing to the forefront. It's So COVID has really helped you guys grow. 
even though the supply chain problem, it's it's helped you guys? A hundred percent. Yeah, because previously people needed to go to China and now you don't need to travel. You can just stay at your desk in your home and and be connected, be connected within half an hour, an hour to a manufacturer that suits you. And I think that this was growing with or without COVID. This was growing and becoming more of a thing because it's also about trust. You might not trust a, a platform in China to source for you, but now it's becoming a lot more mainstream. Quality of manufacturing in China has gone, uh, is a country mile better than a decade ago since China have so many different policies in place now for quality standards. The quality is extremely high. So we had the Made in China 2025 initiative, which is still ongoing. What's that? So it's just an initiative that the government are running to improve the quality of of manufacturing throughout China. And not only this, but, you know, now more people are accessing and outsourcing. The factories have up their game anyway. So it's not comparable to, say, 10 years ago. And once you get high quality from your prototype, you'll use China for your full scale production and then you'll just keep using China for your your manufacturing. So this is the way it's going. And I think the past I mean my my assumption is just that it's like anywhere. There's great companies and then there's Yeah, of course, of course. Rubbish ones, as you guys would say. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. Which is again why a platform is ideal because we've already kind of sourced who are the best factories to partner with. We don't partner with just anybody. We actually go to the factory. How do you guys find the ones that are you think are good? Yeah. So there's a team that do this. So it's not, again, something I do. It's a team on the ground um, and they specifically source factories. They go to visit them. They pre-vet them on a range of topics. They go and physically see the factory. And then if it fits and if it's, you know, up to the standard of Heisel, it can go onto our platform. So that's how it works. Interesting. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to ask you a few zingers now. Obviously, China's got some bad PR lately, human rights stuff. How has this affected the business? Uh, do you do you think, and, and I, I don't know, maybe you're just not in the right position to give me a good answer, but has it been something the PR people at Heisel have had to, had to navigate, a lot of damage control? I'm probably not the best person to ask about this as I'm not on the ground. However, I would say not really, no. Um, okay. We, we haven't. We haven't. And um, I haven't seen any again, any negative effects or any kind of PR we've had to we've had to manage as a direct result of that. No. OK. All right. I am interested. You told me before that the CEO of Heisel is a woman, correct? Yes, indeed. Yeah. That is really interesting. 100 percent. So how common is that for a big Chinese company? It's not very common at all, which makes Heisel stand out. Um, so she started it from scratch, from the ground up. with a- Oh, so she's the founder too. Exactly. The founder and the CEO. That's probably the only way a woman w- would be the CEO. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that's too much generalization. But Yes, it's really special, very unique. She had an idea to bring manufacturing to the masses. Um, she saw a gap in the market. To have a platform like Heisel, which is accessible to everybody, um, which is very user friendly, which has a really knowledgeable expert team behind it to help people source. Um, And so she built it from scratch up until what it is now. So do you know, like the the personal story of it? 
like is there is there sort of company lore that they tell everybody how does a person any any person start a company like this in china from the ground up but let alone what are the challenges for a woman to do that in china well i think the challenges would be to highlight your usps as opposed to because if you search for you know sourcing platform china so many come up but they're not verified they're not valid they're not reputable Oh yeah. So I think that was probably um to make yourself stand out and show why actually Heisel would make it as opposed to all the other companies would have been difficult plus obviously the fact that she is a woman and all the general challenges that come along with business. Um she started some- Was she like a business uh, an MBA was she, did she come from manufacturing family do you, do you have any background on her? So um, I can't comment on the family background, um, to be honest with you. Um, However, Sherry did come from a sourcing background. So she was already knowledgeable within the industry, very knowledgeable. So she has years experience within this industry of manufacturing, um, outsourcing. So she had the knowledge behind her and she put it into use and then grew it um, bit by bit. You know, she secured rounds of funding um, from huge companies and it's grown from strength to strength from there. Word of mouth, as I said, was was really key. Um, We had some big buyers. Um, A lot of people use Heisel because they, you know, they sign an NDA. We don't disclose who, who a lot of our buyers are because, you know, they like their privacy. Um, but Heisel is very, very well established in the market now. And that's all because of the good customer service that we offer, I guess, and good products. Yeah, and I'm, I'm stereotyping now, but I feel like uh, sometimes women-owned companies, they're they're more open to employing other women or and maybe make the... We've done some podcasts where, where people talked about, you know, they, they're a little more conscious about making things more comfortable for women. And yeah. You, women are more likely to work there. I guess my question is, uh, are there more women working at Heisel than at a typical um, big Chinese corporation? Um, well, nowadays, China is, uh, you know, there's, there's women in top leadership in a variety of positions, a variety of companies. So, um, however, Heisel does have a large proportion of women in upper management, but there is a mix. So we have we have men and women. And I think that balance is really important and also makes Heisel stand out because, you know, you have that balance of um, creativity, of drive, of like, difference of opinion. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Heisel has done so well in comparison to to the other companies. Um, and you know, so you have some competitors like it. Of course, we we have we have competitors, yes, but none have grown at the rate Heisel has. And you know, there's a reason for that, and that is because the customer is always number one with us. So our in-house engineers. Everybody says that, but I mean, so the the difference is the differences with Heisel, I guess, is. The account manager really focuses on what your needs are as a customer and adapts completely to you. Mm-hmm. Um, How often can you talk to him on the phone or her on the phone? Well, obviously, bearing in mind the time difference and during their sleep, they're not available. But essentially, they're available. No one's given too many accounts that they can't devote attention to them. So given the time difference, you have a lot of time. You can email them. You have a direct line for them um, and they respond, you know, the same day they will respond to you. So it's very easy. It's super easy. And they're such a great team. Um, pleasure to to work with. So I think this makes Heisel stand out for me personally as well. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions, a little bit more about you. So 
you lived in China working for Heisel for a long time, correct? Yes. So I moved to China in 2013, the beginning of 2013. So um, most of my 20s were spent in China. was it was did you work there work at Heisel the whole time or other places? So no, I've worked I've worked at two big companies, Heisel being one of them. So I've been started at Heisel around four years ago. So my background is marketing, um, but also in manufacturing. So the company I worked at prior to Heisel was also in manufacturing. Um, however, very different to metal and plastic, but a, a great experience, all in Shanghai. So Shanghai is just an amazing city to live and work in, to be honest. Where were you living in when you were at Heisel? Shanghai as well? Exactly. Yes, Shanghai. So our headquarters are actually in Shanghai. So we have a very big... What made you want to go to China to work? I mean, it's super cool, but were your parents like, you know, are are you mental? I love using these (laughs) phrases that I've learned from Harry Potter and Yes, I've always been very fond of traveling. I had actually been to China before, um, not for work, uh, through university. So I'd already experienced, you know, China and I just loved it. And I got a job opportunity. So I thought, why not? But you were looking, you were like, I think China would be a pretty cool place to look. I'm going to. Actually, at the time, I wasn't looking. Um, I was quite settled in London and um, an opportunity came my way. And I decided to take it. Um, I think that life is all about that. And I think that the journey I had is amazing. And um, you've got to take up these opportunities. And it allows you to see different parts of the world, experience different work cultures. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I I haven't looked back since. So now I am based in the UK. But I could highly recommend China to somebody who wants um, a work experience. Or not even China, but if, you know, you want just an experience to work abroad, go for it. Absolutely go for it. No, it's life-changing because then you, I mean, I lived in Italy for a little while and and that was significant, but it's nothing like going to, to Asia, I'm sure. I mean, I've gone to Japan a few times and I mean, it's like you're you're on another planet and I'm sure China is like that as well in its own way. Was it strange to come back, to settle back? And you you came more because of the pandemic. That was what got you back? Yeah. So I guess it's different. It was different times, wasn't it, since the pandemic? So it was a big life change. But mostly that was probably because of the pandemic, to be honest, you know, lockdown and everything. And you see, when China was. You came back when? You came back when? Mid 19, mid 2000? End of 2020. Right. So it really hadn't reached the rest of the world, but China had already started locking down. Well, this is it. So the interesting thing is China, when China were recovering, the rest of the world was being hit harder. So as China went into lockdown, the rest of the world had COVID hadn't hit yet. Um, None of us, I guess, expected it to travel across the world. We thought it would be contained to China and it would pass. I know. But um Weren't we idiots? Yeah. So I never thought for a second, you know, I thought it was an issue we had on the ground in China that, you know, after lockdown, it would all be back to normal again, but it hasn't been back to normal. So it's a bit difficult to answer because obviously, you know, moving across the world during COVID um, and we're only just starting to, if we can call it normal. Yeah. I mean, I'm based in the UK. We've only just relaxed our policy. Whenever whenever we relax and think things are getting back to normal, then. Well, exactly. No, exactly. We've only just relaxed our policies now. And um, who knows what's 
what the future holds. Did, did you feel like when you came back, did you feel like I'm escaping? I'm escaping the virus. I'm safe now. And then all of a sudden you're like, wah, wah. no. So when I came back, there was COVID had spread, but it wasn't um, as, as bad as it got in 2021. Um, I didn't really think too much of it. Um, I never thought it would be what, what it turned into. What did it feel like to be on lockdown over there versus in in the UK? Really different. So in China, I would say that it's very strict. You know, when they say lockdown, they mean lockdown. Um, so what is that? What does that mean? You can't leave your door? No. Well, it depends what time it was. So when COVID first hit, which I think was we first went into lockdown, if my memory serves me correctly, it was around February 2020. And um, we weren't, there was guards on the on our compound door. We couldn't, we couldn't physically leave. Um, and if you go into quarantine. You were living in a compound for like foreigners? So, no, not foreigners. So Shanghai is kind of like London. It's a lot of flats and high rise buildings. So if you're in the center or anywhere close to the city, it's unlikely that you're in a house. It's more likely you're in a, comp- I call it compound, a, a flat in a compounded area. So this is what Shanghai is made up of. Oh, okay. When we think of compounds in the United States, we think of like a huge building or like a walled area or something. Uh-huh. So no, it's not, it's not, uh, right. Like um, it's separate from the rest of the, like it's a gated or something. No, it's not like that, but it is a compound with a collection of flats within it. And then the gate can be locked at night or, you know, there's different kinds of compounds. But this is very common, but it's not kind of... So it's like an apartment complex and then there's sort of a surrounding gate. Exactly. exactly. It's an apartment complex. Sometimes it depends. I mean, you know, there's different ones. There's ones with gates that you can push to open with a buzzer. There's ones that are not gated at all. You know, there's a whole range, to be honest with you. But this is the most common form of accommodation. It's very rare that you're in a house or a small flat building um so they and they were just like you can't leave yeah yeah so lockdown meant lockdown and then there was a time where it was eased off a bit so you could go to the shops um but that's what it needed you know we needed to stop the spread so if you've got rules but nobody's following them you're not going to stop the spread so i think you know it was all positive actions from the government and very quickly and people are good at following rules over there yeah and the rules are implemented very very fast so, you know, one day you're in the office, next you're not, and you don't. But I mean, somebody working in manufacturing and, you know, uh, on a, a large scale, what was the first thought that came to your mind? And then maybe the second thought after a few weeks, like your brain just must, must have been racing of different ideas. What's going to go on now? Oh, what, what's going on now? Yeah, I mean, it's different from day to day, to be honest. And I personally just kept thinking that it's going to be over soon. I didn't think... Well, so did everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I I downplayed it probably, to be honest, because we were really fast with responding. I thought, okay, this, the spread will stop because we're all in lockdown and um, the government dealt with it so well in China, in my opinion. I, I didn't think it would last as long as it did. And to be fair, China did curb it quite quickly, but by then, unfortunately, it had already spread. Very interesting. This is a lot of uh, stuff to chew on. You know, just one question I I like to ask people, just about everybody I interview, I I ask them, you know, what's something you learned last week? But then they kind of go, some people come up with something clever. And then a lot of people go, shit, I don't know what I learned. So I've changed the question. The question that I've started asking people is, 
What's something that you read recently or heard recently that sort of left even an, an emotional impression on you? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, it's not that tough. Okay. Well, it's just something interesting then. It, it doesn't have to be like, like that dramatic. So I will tell, yes. Okay. I'd say something interesting that I learned is that so close to where I live, there's a shelter for the homeless. And um, I learned that having chatted with a couple of them, um, this is very random, but this is last week. So um, that, you know, some people like to to be off the grid. Something that made me think is, you know, we're so caught up in social media and being digital and online, um, not for business, but, you know, when we're not doing business, we spend our lives looking what other people are doing. And he actually purposely made himself, decided to be, homeless because he didn't want to be on this grid anymore and he just wanted to kind of take a step back and enjoy life for what it is day by day and there was something kind of beautiful about that and he needed to be he needed to be homeless to do that you you were just talking to him and that's what he said yeah he basically said or oh, I'm, I'm i'm not sure that's the reason he he lost his house or what whatever his situation was before but the point he was making was normal life he he wasn't enjoying the fact that you know we're so concerned with social and being digital and it can sometimes be fake, can't it? Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. He said there's something beautiful about just living in the world and in the moment. And he said, you know, he doesn't have um, an ID. He doesn't have a passport. He's not a number or he's not a name. He's he's himself. And that was really interesting. That is interesting. Well, I thank you so much. Thank you. It was lovely to speak to you. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music